On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking gondolas. We talked about it the other day on the podcast, and a lot of people thought that we were joking or that we were being funny because we referenced Disney World having gondolas. Since we're not getting an LRT, how else can we move people around this city in a public transit kind of way? And I said, Disney World does it exceptionally well with their gondolas. Some of you thought I was joking. Jason Farr, Ward 2 Counselor, brought up this idea, though, a number of years ago. He joins us to talk about it's a serious concept. We could do with a gondola system in this city, and we'll explain why. Also, a number of years ago, many years ago in some cases, people made predictions about 2020, about the year 2020, where we find ourselves now. We're going to talk about some of those predictions, and we're going to talk sports with Bubba O'Neill as well. All coming up. Stay with us. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Monday on the show, in our last show before the new year, I spent a little bit of time talking about gondolas in lieu of the LRT, which now seems dead. I suggested how about solving a slightly different problem, although in the same vein, with the billion dollars or whatever's left of it, the province has promised that we apparently still have. And I was talking about how I had just got back from Disney World with the family and we were riding on this spectacularly efficient brand new gondola system. And it showed me when I got on it, how really effective it could work as a mover of a lot of people. Uh, and a story in the Orlando Sentinel, which I looked up uh, that talked about this says there are six legs to this gondola system down there that connect resorts and hotels and stuff. Each one costs a $1.2 million. Now I looked a little deeper. That's not exactly accurate because it doesn't include the poles, which are expensive. Either way, no matter what the cost is, it's a lot less than the $100 million per mile that they said uh, an extension to the monorail down there would cost. And it would be vastly less expensive than an LRT. Now, when I talked about it, I heard from a number of people afterwards who thought I was being funny or being ironic because I was bringing in a Disney idea here. And they said, come on, it's Disney World. Get real. That's not the real world. Well, fair enough. But I wasn't being ironic and I wasn't being funny. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to bring someone else in who has brought up this idea legitimately a while back. And I don't know if he still thinks it's a good idea or not, but Ward 2 Counselor Jason Farr joins us now. Jason, how are you? I'm fine. First of all, though, Scott, I hope in this new year you don't XI on the uh, ironic or the funny on your show. Oh, you know, we'll never Just get rid of... case. No, in this case. In this case. But a happy new year, by the way, to you, Jason. And to you. And uh, I'm glad we're still talking about uh, higher-order transit. And certainly this is uh, this can be taken very seriously. And in fact, I think uh, when you look at our transportation master plan review, I believe unanimously received only eight or so months ago by all of council, then uh, then you could say that we all took it seriously because it was very much part of the discussion. And that was a big, big report. Well, when you brought this up, and I think it was probably four years ago or maybe a little more than that, you were on the show and we talked about it. Yeah. There were some people, I think I, I heard them, there were some people who kind of snickered at the idea, right? I mean, it sounds a little crazy on its face until you start to dive down into what it could do. Right. And when we talked about it last, we were making it part of the conversation. Nobody was saying, let's find a partner and let's build our first gondola through downtown and all the way to the waterfront from Shadok or uh, Mohawk College, even better, uh, and let's do it tomorrow. We were just saying, you know, we're doing this transportation master van, uh, plan review. It's citywide. It's very extensive. Just throw it in and see see what people think as part of an actual consultation uh, process, a citywide consultation process. And half the people actually love the idea. 
the other half uh, didn't say they thought it was crazy, maybe a few, but it certainly it received good marks with respect to uh, continuing the conversation. And so, you know, we unfortunately, I know when listening to your show from time to time, Scott, uh, you know, we all hear you, uh, we being us politicians, uh, why do we have to do another study, and uh, how long is it going to take to get anything done? In certain cases, uh, you have to take your time, and others, and you and I have talked about this in the past, I, I agree with you, it would be great if we could get it done. Um, we did include Escarpment Crossing People Mover as a study in that review, and this is, again, a very extensive and a very important document that was uh, um, approved by Council about eight months ago. And the timing of this particular Escarpment Crossing People Mover study, which a gondola would fall under, uh, beyond 2031. Now, that said, just prior to Christmas, a certain announcement has uh, probably made us perk up our ears to other more creative ideas and things that we might do in Hamilton where we can count on maybe the federal government, certainly not the provincial government, and uh, still attain those goals that Council continues to uh, strive towards in terms of our own strategic planning, uh, healthy, safe communities, economic prosperity, uh, environmental reasons. We have since the TMP uh, obviously declared a climate emergency in our city, and this is the kinds of things that we need to maybe take more seriously and not look beyond 2031, but maybe uh, talk about more seriously more sooner. Well, and there are other cities. It's not Disney World alone. I mean, again, oh, that, no. that seems to throw a, 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 a connotation into the conversation, but there are cities that use these. Yeah, no, look, it's definitely something when some, when you say gondola, folks think of either, you know, a big boat with a stick moving it through some European river or more than likely a ski resort. And, or, you know, you're mentioning, mentioning Disney Resort. Yeah, they did it to save money, but they also did it as a very effective tool in moving people. And you know how many people go through the resort 365 days and nights a year. Uh, they needed it. The tram is very effective, but very expensive. And you're right. It, 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 the latest I read, and it wasn't long ago, maybe it was after hearing you talk about your trip to Disney World because I caught a bit of that show, 25 to $50 million. So, so you're right. I mean, what was the cost of, uh, per, uh, not even per kilometer, I think that was about a three-kilometer uh, stretch of, in Squamish that I was reading about. It's not expensive, and it is a, an effective people mover. And if you did it right uh, in the right place, it is Definitely something that's used for as a higher order transit means and not necessarily a tourist thing. It can be both. Uh, in cities all over South America, London, New York City, European cities, there's, there's a number of examples, and it's growing, but it's still, I think, at a level where there needs to be a greater understanding where people can't go, oh, Passau, when Scott brings it up as an actual idea on his, on his radio show, or God forbid, a counselor yeah. around that horseshoe, because uh, I, I believe that if more people understood the value in terms of a higher-order multimodal uh, opportunity to include in other uh, people moving exercises, which is part of our sustainable city plan and planning that all, almost all of council, if not all of council in various forms have supported over many years, then we've got something and that at least we should probably take seriously. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Chatting with Councillor Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor, Downtown Councillor, about the well, what could maybe be in place of a gondola or of, of an LRT? Maybe that's a gondola idea. It's been bandied around a bit. And Jason, uh, you had brought this up several years ago. I know the LRT, everyone knows it was going east-west and it was going to traverse the city that way. Um, 
But one of the things that a lot of the critics of LRT have said is, look, we have people on the mountain who want to get down and up and down. That's the psychological and physical barrier, the upper city and lower city. This could, as one of the routes, this could help to overcome that. Yeah, and absolutely, where gondolas are effective as people movers and not necessarily as a focus of tourism, they're usually in cities with hilly climbs, and we're obviously that. We have an upper and we have a lower, and there's a great advantage. And obviously, as we talked about before the break, a cost-effective one, Scott. Um, And yes, yeah, the B-line was the blast, the B in blast, and certainly we had long-term goals in terms of servicing transit, higher order, BRT, LRT throughout the entire city. There's the L, the A, the S, and the T that we needed to get to. Um, but, But... we're, we're, I, I'm especially me. I mean, I'm well aware we have close to 30,000 people coming down to work uh, from all parts, and especially the mountain um, weekdays, 9 to 5. It's uh, still the city center. It's the um, commercial and office center of our city. And we only have five escarpment accesses and really only three to get you near the downtown. So um, there's, there's that, and there's obviously a whole bunch of opportunities and revenue generation too. These things make money. Uh, their, their, their capital is, is minimal compared to other higher order forms. And ultimately they are popular and they do work. So there, there's, there's a lot to this. I mean, is, am I going to run to council Monday and, and move another motion? Maybe not Monday, but certainly I'm glad that you're talking about it because of the announcement of a scrapped LRT. Because some of us, frankly, Scott, and I don't want to get nasty here, but I have no faith when you add as a province that you're going to give the city a billion dollars and then you put highways in the mix, pretty much the writing is on the wall, a good chunk, if not all of it, unfortunately, and I'm a glass half full guy, you know that, is probably going to go to the water down bypass and and that, that and in your neighborhood, it's needed for sure, uh, a new uh, a, a new exit uh, ramp for, for Ancaster off the 403. And the 403 is a challenge for us uh, for, for highway commuting. So what do we have left? I, I mean, it'd be great if the blast or BRT could be spread out the entire city, but I don't think anybody is holding their breath. I mean, they couldn't even come to the podium to talk to us. Uh, when they scrap the LRT. So it's unfortunate, and I know people have different views, and I respect those views, and I also respect the, the democratic process. We have a, an incumbent from those areas where highways, they feel, need some work, and they said they have a billion dollars for our city, and they've recently added, we're going to put it towards highways. So you got to start thinking outside the box, and we also have to, and in this case, Scott, and to bring it full circle, our conversation continue to respect past resolutions of this and other councils as it relates to building a sustainable city. A gondola actually fits a whole lot of categories in achieving that, and that's what council's been asking for for many years. What do you think, though, honestly, and again, I don't know why the idea of gondola makes people, some people anyway, sort of snicker as a goofy idea. I really don't know. But if you or someone else, and I'm not putting on the spot that you're going to, but if you brought this up at council, what do you think the reaction would be? Well, I think you'd have to be a little strategic about it. I mean, the good thing is people like yourself, The Spectator and others and the CBC had some pretty good coverage. I mean, that Transportation Master Plan Review was a massive document and it looked at every area of transportation you can think of from asphalt to sidewalk expansion to the color of the lights 
and how people crossed the road. And this thing caught like fire in terms of public conversation, but there were some councillors in that media coverage, beneficial to me. I could get a lay of the land by some of their public comments, and I can appreciate that. They've been hearing about the possibilities of gondolas, or gondolas have been part of the political conversation since we scrapped the incline in 1936. So it's nothing new in terms of a conversation in this city. But some people still maybe have that vision that you experienced when you talked about it in Disneyland, that it's more of a, a you know, kitschy tourist thing and not necessarily a serious uh, transport, people mover transportation uh, mobility uh, uh, piece. But for some cities and more and more cities, they're catching on. The technology is helpful. Um, the fact that these cars can be much bigger and carry more weight is helpful. If there's one knock from the... Uh, from the gondola uh, people or the people who want to argue against gondolas, it's that you can only get so many people. Well, some can get 9,000 an hour now, so that's quite a quite a number compared to some of those smaller cars that we envision when we see a see a ski slope or something like that. So, you know, there, there's 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 an attack if you want to call it that. If I'm going to bring it up, and I probably will at some point. Um, it is part of the transportation master plan review. We are saying that we're going to study it till 2031. Maybe it's time to move that particular approved council item up from 2031 to something a little more uh, palatable for those who want to move to a higher order transit and do it municipally, maybe with some federal help. Um, you, you have to maybe put it in such a way that those councillors who want to op a shot because they see it as a ski lift um, you, you maybe bring in the experts, uh, perhaps offer uh, the advantages, and, and definitely what usually works as a selling point around that table, even for me, Scotty, is uh, is it going to make money? Is it a revenue loser or is it a revenue tool? And certainly gondolas are proven to be a revenue tools. Jason Farr, Ward 2 Councillor, always appreciate the time. Thanks for doing this. Again, Happy New Year. I'm glad we're talking about it. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. It is stunning to think that it was 20 years ago already that we were thinking Y2K was about to happen and that we were flipping the millennium and it was the big, such a huge thing, but it's already 20 years. I mean, I just can't even, I can't believe it. Some of you may be thinking, no, it seems like it's taken forever. No, it is, pew, it has flown by. Anyway, 2020 is one of those beautiful kind of symmetrical perfect numbers that makes people think of it as the future, or at least in the past, they have 2020 seems like such a a long way off. It was like 1984 and then 2000 and then 2020. And so lots of people, lots of futurists, shall we call them, predictors of future behavior, once upon a time made some predictions, not as a group, just independently. They would say, here's what's going to happen in 2020. By the time we get to 2020, here's what the world is going to look like. Well, let's just say that all of these people were not right. (laughs) That's the simplest way I can put it. There's a few people who were pretty on top of things. We'll get to a few of them that are pretty good. But I got to tell you, most of the people from years gone by, and we're not talking about five years ago. I mean, we're talking 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years ago. Most of the people, nah, not so much. For example, there was a surgeon in 1911, a British surgeon by the name of Richard Clement Lewis, who wrote in a paper that by 2020, people will only have one large toe. 
due to, I guess, very rapid evolution of some kind, we don't need the four little toes, so they will morph into one large knobby toe in the middle of our foot. Um, if you have a foot fetish, perhaps this is something very exciting to you, but uh, no, it did not happen that I know of anyway. I've never met the person with the one large knobby toe. Uh, the Rand Corporation, back, and this is 1994. This is not that long ago. This is the one more recent one. Uh, they determined that in 2020, we would be breeding apes and other animals to do our manual labor for us. All right. That one, no, not so much. Arthur C. Clarke, the guy who wrote the screenplay for 2001 A Space Odyssey, believed he wrote this in 1966, that by 2020, we would all live in flying houses. Again, bit of a whiff there. The New York Times had a science editor named Voldemar Kampfort. I hope I pronounced that correctly because I want to pronounce my German correctly. Voldemar Kampfort. Uh, He was writing in the paper in the 1920s. He predicted that in 2020, you would wash your house by taking a hose and just hosing everything down because everything in the house would be made of plastics and fabrics that would just be waterproof and it would just, you just spray everything, spray your bedroom, spray your bathroom, spray everything, and it would all be clean. This one, let me bring Ben in for this one. Ben's on the other side of the glass today. He's uh, handling the music and everything else. This one may be one of the more disconcerting predictions that somebody made. Uh, The same guy. Uh, Voldemar Comfort. He, um, his other prediction, and he wrote this in Popular Mechanics many years ago, was that uh, we're going to be wearing clothing made of materials that could be recycled, which is fine by itself, but he said into candy and other food. He may have some pretty bad ideas, but at least he's got a cool name. Like, well, but that's I'm, the only redeeming thing. I'm just picturing that, you know, someone's used dirty underwear has been recycled and now turned into gumdrops. Nobody <laughs> wants that. Jolly Rancher is made Ra- out of your old t-shirts. Yeah, you know, a jo- new Jolly Rancher flavor, Skidmark. <laughs> That's not an enticing flavor of Jolly Rancher, let me tell you. Mustard stain mustard isn't uh, good enough? Not really. Uh, Popular Mechanics said in 1951 that every family in 2020 would have at least one helicopter in their garage. I'm still waiting for mine to be delivered. Uh, As am I. This one was very odd. John Elfrith Watkins Jr., who was the curator of mechanical technology at the Smithsonian Institute, predicted that by 2020, now this, I don't even understand this exactly. By 2020, we will have taken C, the letter C, the letter X, and the letter Q out of our alphabet because they would be unnecessary, just space-filling, superfluous letters, and they would be a waste of time and we would have just dumped them. Like the penny. Well, in a way, they are, and I really think we could change the alphabet to... So you would say, so Queen Elizabeth would be K-W-E-E-N? Sure. I mean, I suppose it would be easier for people who are trying to spell phonetically. Yeah, I mean, like, just as a whole, it would streamline the language. It would make Scrabble easier. That's for sure. Um, Spelling bees would be a breeze, too. That that too, yep. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Xylophone would be hard to spell. You just spell it with a Z, like you think it starts... 
Michael J. O'Farrell, who was the founder of the Mobile Institute. No idea what the Mobile Institute is. but Isn't, isn't that where the RV was invented? Could be. <laughs> That's an RV, Clark. <laughs> Time to start going back to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation quotes. Uh, he said in his book, Shift 2020, that by the time, by right now, we would be in the nanomobility era, meaning telepathy and teleportation would all be possible. Okay. I was expecting, I heard nanomobility. I'm like, are we going to be like really, really small cars? We're going to be able to Mr. Spock ourselves around the place, Tele- telepathy and teleportation. I'd be okay with that. Uh, popular mechanics in 1957 said that by 2020, all of our roads would be tubes. That's an interesting one. Like subway tubes? Yeah, kind of. You'd just be like driving in tubes all over the place, which would keep you, I guess, from changing lanes and just, whatever. Kind of like old pneumatic mail tubes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe with the same thing like at Costco when they put the money and it goes, (laughs) (laughs) and just the money goes, shoots off to somewhere else and and you never see it again. I don't know. Got to put your kids to school. (laughs) Put them in a tube. Yeah, your son showed up at school today. He was 17 feet long when he got here. It was the vacuum ceiling had something to do with it. But You're growing bigger every day, Timmy. That's right. That We're going to all be 27 feet tall in 2020 from the pneumatic tube vacuum <laughs> suction. And our heads will be the shape of a cucumber. But okay. <laughs> we're going to be an ugly people, but at least we'll be able to move quickly. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about predictions people made years and years and years ago about the year 2020, which we're in now, and how they did in their predictions. So far, I think we've got one that was somewhat close. We shall continue. Uh, Time Magazine in 1966 said that by 2020, machines will be producing so much that everyone in the U.S. will in effect be independently wealthy, making the equivalent of $300,000 a year for doing nothing. I don't think that's happening at the moment. They're half right. I mean, we do have a lot more machines doing a lot more jobs, but it's having the opposite effect for a lot of people than what they predicted. See, People wonder, are losing their work because they don't have jobs now because the machines do them. That's where I wonder, where was, where was this 300,000 going to come from? Well, uh, doing your job for you that, uh, I don't know. I'm going to sit here and watch this machine build a car and I will be the person who gets paid. Exactly. And who's going to buy it? Well, their machine. So anyway, uh, the, 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 here, Wired Magazine said that by 2020, we would be on Mars. Yeah, missed it by a bit. I uh, love this one. Don't know where this came from, but Dorothy Rowe in 1950, who was an Associated Press writer, reported that by 2020, women would be typically more than six feet tall, wear a size 11 shoe, have shoulders like a wrestler and muscles like a truck driver because of the new balanced ration of vitamins, proteins, and minerals that will produce maximum bodily efficiency. Is that why I have shoulders that are like a wrestler and trucker muscles? Do you? Oh, I'm, I don't know. I'm like 6'4". I got I've, that going for you me. You got that going, but I'm trying to picture like all these, where are all these women well, they're in the WWE. <laughs> but, the Amazon. Yeah, they're in the Amazon. Everything according to Miami Metropolis. Oh, an interview uh, that Thomas Edison. Here, here you go. Thomas Ooh. Edison. You know who Thomas Edison is. He said that in 2020, everything pretty much would be made of steel. 
oh man, does Hamilton ever wish he was right? <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Edison missed on that one, but man, Hamilton was banking hard on that prediction. Man, if he wants to be mayor of Hamilton, I think that's a pretty good way to do it. Uh, in Wired magazine, uh, they predicted that by 2020, we would be able to vote electronically from home. Whoa, well, I'm going to give them this one because we could... We could do it from home if we wanted to. The technology is there that we could do it. There there might be some hiccups. There might be a lot of votes coming in from Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like one and a half out of how many bad no. predictions? Uh, in 1937, Nikola Tesla, everyone's favorite Croatian, no, Serbian. I think he's Serbian, Serbian. right? Serbian, yes. Uh, inventor predicted that by 2020, coffee, tea, and tobacco will no longer be in vogue. That was his quote. Quote, the abolition of stimulants will not come about forcibly. It will simply be no longer fashionable to poison the system with harmful ingredients. Except, of course, that we keep adding stuff like <laughs> cannabis and puffers and everything else. We seem to be adding the harmful toxins to our available things. Yeah, take that. Take that, Nikola Tesla. What you ever do. There will be blood banks for teeth, according to Lester David in Mechanics Illustrated in 1947. So basically, instead of a blood bank, there would you could have teeth donated, and if you lost a tooth, you could go and size one and have them put it in. That's an interesting idea. It's an interesting idea. I don't know that I want anyone else's tooth. I also don't know if I care to donate my teeth. Well, I suppose how it depends how hard up you are to pay your rent. Fair enough. If you need to donate, you know, some people donate other things, samples to pay rent and other bills. Why not teeth? Except one you can keep producing. Well, forget it. Um, <laughs> according to, um, uh, let's see, vacuums will be nuclear powered. Let's move on here to some other ones. Oh, here's a good one. 1995. So somewhat recently, a couple more. Uh, 1995, Newsweek magazine carried the article headlined The Internet, bah, in which astronomer Clifford Stoll said he was uneasy about this most trendy and oversold community, declaring, quote, cyberspace isn't and never will be nirvana. He declared it baloney that this would ever catch on and be a place that people would really want to use. You, you think it ever will catch on? Like- I don't know. I'm still, uh, I'm still trying to find out what this interwebs thing is, but... Um, my flip deck says otherwise. Uh, and, oh, and here's one more, because um, a lot of these double up again. Uh, in mid-1990, the prediction was made by Dell CEO Michael Dell, who said that Apple, as a company, will die rapidly. That just sounds like someone who is jealous. <laughs> well, Maybe. Uh, maybe, but uh, not not quite so much. Oh, and one more. Here's a good one, just because um, uh, tr- luggage would all be transparent by Ooh. 2020, they said, for security reasons. It would be a lot of underwear you'd see floating around the airports. Oh, let me give you one more, just because we have time, and this one is particularly, if you thought the internet one was bad, that they whiffed on that one. Ooh, here's a beauty. Uh, where's the prediction was, it doesn't say who, oh, the independent, the British newspaper, the independent wrote this blogs, Facebook, Twitter, text messages, and email are now seen as middle-aged obsessions. People under the age of 25 like to talk to their friends directly. <laughs> social media will die with the kids. It'll never catch on that social media. It's an old person's thing. 
No. All right. Good for the independent for nailing that one. It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Yes. Well, there you go. Lots of predictions. I think the moral of the story is just don't predict. Everything is now kept. We have records of all your predictions. Don't uh, don't say what's going to happen in 2030 or 2050 because guaranteed you'll be wrong. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let us go to one of our favorite people. He uh, just recovering from what I understand was a wild, wild New Year's Eve involving all kinds of inappropriate behavior, but I haven't confirmed that. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. How are you? Where are you? Who are your sources? Um, nobody. Just, just expectations. <laughs> Sorry to crush your expectations. No, I'm a boring old man now. I see the stories that I heard involved a speedo and the top of a bar, and dancing and all kinds of other stuff. Now I see that what happens. I do those kind of things, but not on on obvious days. Uh, that those kind of things can happen on a January twelfth. <laughs> or uh, maybe you know August the the first. Don't be predictable. You know, not not on days where you know there's you know uh, officers of the law and of course people out there you know you know filming. You just don't want to do those things. But you pick a random day and then you surprise people. Okay, so maybe it was Phil Perkins I heard about doing those things. Well, he hasn't been seen in days, so I, I, he could be in a cell somewhere. <laughs> if anyone out there has seen Phil Perkins. Call. Help. CHCH is looking for their anchor man. <laughs> well, Adam Atkinson has been doing a great job filling in, so maybe he doesn't want Phil to come back. <laughs> that, that, that could be true, but still, ch- check all residential ditches. <laughs> you never know where Phil may be lying at this point. Anywhere anywhere between the Hamilton and Toronto corridor he could be. <laughs> uh, let us, uh, before we completely obliterate Phil's reputation... <laughs> <laughs> let, let, none of this is true, by the way. In case anyone thinks, "Oh, really? Is Phil a big party?" I, I don't, I, I don't think so. I, you know, we'll let. He one is day, younger than the both of us, so I'll give him that. <laughs> he probably could handle it a lot better. Uh, a lot of stuff that I want to get to and blow through these things quickly. Um, the first one, and I think this is, uh, I, even though a lot has been said about it, I think it's still been underplayed, and I think a lot of people have sort of let this thing because it's New Year's, because it's a busy time, have let this kind of go by. I think that it's been underplayed how big a deal David Stern was, who was the commissioner of the NBA until the most recent guy, till Adam Silver took over and uh, died uh, on New Year's Day at 77 years old. I don't think you can understate or overstate, pardon me, what a big deal this guy was. Uh, It's really something what this man did. You know, time is, you know, so much time has gone by, people forget that, you know, he spent 30 years at the helm of the NBA and really, really turned it around. And I think people, you know, of our ilk, and I speak of our age, we speak about age, and really, I think we're at the point where we kind of grew up with the change of the NBA and stars like Dr. J and Michael Jordan, you know, stepping into prominence. But a short time before that, this league, that NBA, was a troubled league. Players with tremendous drug problems, franchises come and going like the night. It is unfathomable for me to think that the NBA Finals, and we just, you know, we were pinned to the TV for six games for the NBA Finals just a couple of months ago with the Raptors. But imagine a time, just 30, you know, you know a little more than, a little under 30 years ago, where 
the NBA Finals was on tape delay. Yeah, yeah. Like, can you imagine that? The Finals on tape delay. You're talking now about a league where the biggest stars are making $35, $40 million a year. And there was a time when David Stern took over that, first of all, the top players might have been making a million. Now, we can argue whether it's good or bad that players are making that much money. But the point is, it speaks to how much money is in the league now. If the players are getting that, it's because the league is doing well. And, and it just and, shows and the and explosion. That's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, here just a couple of things that I, I've actually jotted down here that, that that still blow me away. Television revenues from the beginning of his his tenure were around twenty two million dollars. Currently, they're at nine hundred and thirty million. At this time, right now, the franchise values the highest at the time when he took over was four hundred million. Scott and right and when he we departed in two thousand and fourteen. It was nineteen million dollars, nineteen billion dollars. No, no, one point nine billion. Sorry, one point nine billion. Well, sorry, what, sorry, one point nine billion. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But no, no, but still, it's, I mean, that is just an unbelievable leap in 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 terms of value. Yeah, no, no. It's I mean, look, it, it's remarkable that this happened. I was trying to think whether any of the commissioners of the big sports would be in the same. Category and I, I mean, I, Paul Tagliabue did a lot for the NFL, but it's generally been a pretty healthy league all along. There's never been a time when the NFL was at risk of falling apart. Uh, the, I, I, you know, and, and let's just talk about that. I think Tagliabue was more of a bridge guy. I would say that I think Pete Rozelle, yeah, did, yeah. did more than Tagliabue. Fair enough. Both of those guys. Both of those guys. Uh, the NHL here, I mean, nobody around here, because of everything that's happened with Hamilton not getting a franchise, nobody around here likes Gary Bettman. And, and quite honestly, I don't know that there is a city in, that has a hockey team that likes Gary Bettman based on the booing he gets. You can't argue, though, with the money that Gary Bettman has brought into hockey. You can't Absolutely. argue it. Absolutely. Look where, the, look where the New Year's Day game was. The most southern place it's ever been in Fort Worth, Texas. That would not have happened without Gary Bettman's vision. Or with a good set of chillers. <laughs> That's, but you're right. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the teams, and again, I mean, it's easy to poo-poo it because we all hate Gary Bettman. I mean, every hockey fan thinks Gary Bettman's the devil, but you then you step back a bit and you go, all right, there's Anaheim, there's San Jose, there's Dallas, there's Arizona, there's Florida, there's Tampa Bay, there's Nashville. What am I forgetting that's down there in the... Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina. Carolina. Uh, all those teams. Dallas. And, and many of them are financially, not all, but many of them are doing very well. Tampa is now a model franchise. Dallas is a model franchise. Um, all three of the California teams are doing outstanding. Nashville is a model franchise. I, we've talked to Ryan Ellis, who plays for mm-hmm. Nashville, and he says, you don't, until you've been down there, now we've all seen it with the playoffs now, mm-hmm. but he goes, until you've been down here, you don't understand how great the fan base is down in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you may not like, and, and baseball then, the other the other one is baseball, and I mean, there's been a number of commissioners. I don't know that Bud Selig engenders any kind of warm feelings about growing the game. I think he just sort of kept the game on track more than anything. I think, and I think here we, especially in this country, we may may have a a little bit of a hate on for him for what happened in terms of that strike with uh, the Montreal Expos, you know, possibly losing an opportunity at a World Series. 
with that with that um, lockout or strike or whatever it was. I, I can't remember if it was a lockout or a strike. Yeah. So well, yeah. So let's. I mean, credit to David Stern. It, it don't it, it, when you hear his name come up and when you see stories about him. I mean, keep in mind this is a guy who. I'm not going to say he single-handedly saved a league because I think that Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Michael Jordan had an awful lot to do with it, but he made it possible for the league to survive. Let's put it that way. Uh, Kyle Dubas. Now, this is a really interesting story that, again, not getting a ton of attention. Uh, right before, was it right before or right after? Right around the Christmas when Ilya Mikhaev had his wrist slashed by a skate, and it was a very serious injury in New Jersey, People heard about this, but Kyle Dubas, the Leafs general manager, young guy, people don't know who he is, the guy with the dark glasses, you'll see him everywhere, dark rim glasses. Um, he Each decided... the Hamilton Bulldogs. Former Brock grad, all the rest. Yeah. Um, he decided to stay in New Jersey with his injured player in the hospital and just sit there and watch sports with him and talk with him rather than fly back with the team and spend the holidays at home. I mean, full full marks to him, and he's getting lots of credit for this, and as he should. What I'm surprised by, Baba, is why this is seen as so unusual. To me, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing that should be so out of line or so outrageous that we make such a big deal. This should be the normal behavior, shouldn't it? Um, I think that's tough, Scott. I think you can't do that in every situation. Not everyone. I think what makes this one different is that Mikheyev is is, is a rookie, first of all, right? But remember, he's not a rookie with any family here. Um, his family speak very little English. Um, they can't afford to, to be going back and forth from, from Russia to, to, to Canada, or in this case, New Jersey. So here's a guy that we hear this a lot of times, and, and, and I read a good, you know, up some books and seen some features on Russian-born players, and vice versa for Canadian and American players that go over to Russia and play. And when you're not with the guys and you're not playing, it becomes a very lonely place. And a guy like him is lying there, in a, you know, wondering about his future, wondering about his health, and he's all by himself in a New Jersey hospital because the, the injury is so severe they can't just take him back to Toronto. So I thought that was just an unbelievable. That's a man. That's a man. That's not just a good general manager. That that's just a great man. Well, it's a, a human. It's a human gesture. That, yeah. But again, and again, I'm not suggesting that every player who gets an injury of any kind, the general manager should abandon all of his plans. I'm talking about serious injuries. But I've not heard. I'm sure it's happened before. I've not heard of this before. And I'm thinking in these serious cases, I'm just surprised this is still considered unusual. I would I would think that most teams would look to, most general managers would look to do something like this, but apparently not. I, I just think that in most cases, most players or most of the players would have had a family member, a wife, someone there to, you know, give them that support. And as I think McKay wouldn't have anyone. I mean, remember, he barely speaks any English. Like, it's rough. At the very least, I mean, soup. The most fun soup is the only word in the movie. Yeah. In the, is, is the fact that we know he likes Seinfeld and he likes soup. Yeah, right? like that's the only things he's ever really been able to, you know, because they talk about it how much he watches Seinfeld, but he has someone translate for him. You know, that's that is concerning. If only I love Seinfeld; it's one of my favorite all-time shows. But you know, people learn certain things. I remember one time, who was it? Recently, uh, there was an athlete. Oh, it was a guy on TFC. After the game, he was being interviewed, and one of the players after said, you know, you dropped about six F-bombs. 
And the guy, he, he was learning English from movies and stuff. He had no idea. He was a very religious guy. He had no idea he was swearing. He, that's what right. he learned on the movies. Well, I'm just picturing now Mikhaev with his cadence now when he only watches Seinfeld when the doctor comes in. And then in Russian, I said, what's the deal with that? Yeah, he's going to have the, the Jerry's or, or the, or just do a Kramer, you know, like anyway, or just bat- straight or just a straight, I, I give in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have bad, bad impressions, but yeah, good. I mean, good for Kyle Dubas. As I say, I, yeah. I was a little surprised that it really, that I have not heard this happen before. All right. Staying with the Leafs right now. And there's still, the Leafs hit the, are at the halfway point of their season. They hit, they go past the halfway point tonight when they play Winnipeg. If things stay on the trajectory that they are going, not just them, but the teams around them, it would appear that they are either probably going to end up playing the Lightning or the Bruins in the first round of the playoffs. The Bruins are the team that they just have been... It's a horror show for the last, what, three years? They just can't beat the Bruins in the playoffs. The Lightning are coming on, were embarrassed in the playoffs last year, and you know they're a team that is going to be a mess to have to face if you run into them in the playoffs. Which team does Toronto want if they have their choice? I think you can have a much better, much more success against Boston. I just think because they're more of a one-line team. And, you know, hey, this team is no longer coached by Mike, uh, Mike Babcock, who had that one system that just didn't work against that team. Uh, it is apparent to me that Sheldon Keith knows what he's doing. This team's won 13 of 18 games since he's come around, and you are now beginning to see more and more line expect, uh, experimentation. Uh, Mike Babcock just was a very rigid guy. He had his lineup. He rolled it out. He rolled all four lines. You win, you lose. And this guy is jumping all over the place. And it's something that everyone has been asking for, pairing Marner and Matthews together seems to be a successful thing. And at times, he'll throw in Tavares as well, too, as an ultimate power play. And you know what? Silently, you talk about things happening under the, very quietly. William Nylander's playing the best hockey we've maybe ever seen him play. So I'll take my chances against Boston because, to me, there's just too much talent in Tampa, and I think they learned a huge lesson last year by trying to go out hard to win that President's Trophy. And I think that's why they got off to the sort of suspect start, and they know we just got to get into the dance, and then their talent will take over in the playoffs. What do you think right now? Honestly, what do you think Mike Babcock is thinking when he sits and looks? What would you be thinking if you had been the coach and now you're looking at this team that everything was going wrong under you and now everything seems to be going right? I, I can't even imagine what's going through his mind. That's a tough position, and, I, and I'm sure he has good feelings for a lot of players on that team and maybe a lot of people in that organization. And I think overall he would want the team to do well. If he couldn't do it, maybe someone else can. So, but, but would he have rathered it be himself? Of course. And I, I'll be honest with you, Scott, the thing that really surprises me is no one has heard from him. He is not, a lot of times guys get fired in all sports and then they'll maybe do a press conference a couple of days after or maybe they'll speak to one reporter and give, you know, one someone will have a scoop. He has not talked to anyone. I just don't know that he's in a position right now with the way the team is going that there's anything that he can say that doesn't look bad on him and I like I he did what he was going to do and where, where I think that where I think it's fascinating and where I'd love to hear that 
is that he was such a stubborn man, and it's worked for him in the past, clearly didn't work now. And you look and you think, if I had only tried some other things and stepped away from my stubbornness, I might still be coaching. Well, but know, but you're he right. didn't. I mean, think about the end of the think of that game seven against Boston uh, when they were down by a goal, and 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 Gauthier is getting more ice time, or he's on the ice more than than Austin Matthews. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's you know stubbornness is a great thing at times when you're committed to what you believe. But man, oh man, after a while, when it doesn't work, and when someone comes in then and changes it, and it works, that that look. I, I don't have bad feelings about Mike Babcock. I mean, I know some of the things that he was said to have done to motivate Mitch Marner and the team and all the rest, I mean, are not ideal. Look, we've all made mistakes. We've all done things we wish we could undo. He was a successful coach. He was a good coach, but man, this has got to be the worst for him. It really does to see someone else come in, tweak some of the things that, here's the worst part, Bubba, that all the fans and the media were screaming for. Yes. This isn't like it was that Sheldon Keefe has come in and done something magical that no one had thought of. This is exactly the stuff that he had been hearing day after day after day to try. And he kept saying, nope, nope, nope. And all the stuff that the know-nothing media and the idiot fans said to do is what's working. That's got to just chew him up. It should anyway. Well, and you know, it was getting, and only because I've been in those that room a couple of times to see, you know, like it, 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 it was getting really, really heated at times because there was a time where, you know, suggestions like getting Austin Matthews more ice time. A lot of reporters danced around that subject, you know, two years ago, three years ago, but it became a regular point of conversation where the me, many media members, in my opinion, challenged Mike Babcock. You know, a guy that's won a Stanley Cup and won, you know, multiple gold medals with Team Canada. And you could see the stress on his face. But you're right. Babcock was a, a stubborn guy. And be, because, like you said, maybe what he's done in the past has worked. But he just did, the, you're right, the, flexibil- the lack of flexibility could be the reason why this team didn't have the success that Sheldon Keith is enjoying. We will see. And someday we'll hear from him. And somebody hopefully will ask that question is, man, do you wish that you had been a little more flexible? And you know what he'll say? No. Because he won't, I, I don't believe, we got to go, I don't believe that he will acknowledge that what he did was wrong. But it's hard not to look at this and go, you know what? Flexibility at times can be a good thing. Anyway. Well, think, think about his last saying, one of the last sayings the day before he got fired. Uh, seven days a week, I'll bet on Mike Babcock. Exactly right. Bob O'Neill, Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this. Uh, happy New Year to you and all your listeners, and uh, great to be back with you, Scott. We, you can watch Bubba tonight at 11 o'clock on CHCH. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.